0: Welcome to the Word on Wednesday Easter podcast. My name is John Mason. It's great you could join us. Writing in The Weekend Australian, John Carroll, Emeritus Professor of Sociology at La Trobe University, Melbourne, Australia, comments, Immortality has become the great question mark. For the secular modern age, belief in any form of life after death is in doubt. I'll talk more about this shortly. But first, if you missed the recent Anglican Connection online conference, for $30 registration, you can access all the conference in your own time until May 31. Register at www.anglicanconnection.com.
1: The reading is from the Gospel according to St. John, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10 and 19 through 21a. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to their homes. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Writing in The Weekend Australian, John Carroll, Emeritus Professor of Sociology at La Trobe University, Melbourne, Australia, comments, Immortality has become the great question mark. For the secular modern age, belief in any form of life after death is in doubt. Most no longer believe in a supernatural being, whether providential, guiding, punishing or forgiving. God has become a figment of the archaic imagination. What then does life have to offer? The subtext of today's elite are the words of the 5th century BC philosopher Protagoras, In all things man is the measure. Men and women determine what is of value and what is not. Voices today pronounce on race and gender, equality and rights, and so on. Interestingly, in the same way that the 5th century Greek philosophers drew aspects of their moral teaching from Moses, so there are aspects today that reflect Judeo-Christian values, such as the abolition of slavery. That said, some of today's agenda stand in clear contrast to those virtues. Given that life and death matters are at stake, it's imperative we ask whether the account of Jesus' resurrection is an invention. I say this because the resurrection is foundational for Christianity. If it's false, let's eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we die. If it's true, it's life-changing. The words of the Greek philosopher Heraclitus are apt. Unless you expect the unexpected, you'll never find truth, for it's hard to discover and hard to attain. And last century, G.K. Chesterton remarked, Truth is stranger than fiction, for fiction is the creation of the human mind and therefore congenial to it. In the opening lines of John's Gospel, chapter 20, The Apostle relates his experience on the morning of the third day following Jesus' crucifixion. Mary of Magdala, one of the women who went to the tomb, ran back to tell Peter and John it was empty. They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, she said, and we don't know where they've laid Him. Despite the testimony of women being treated as unreliable and insignificant in first century Judaism, Women were the first witnesses of the empty tomb. No Jewish writer would have written this if the account were fiction. Furthermore, John the Apostle's own testimony rings true. He tells us that being younger, he outran Peter. But he didn't enter the tomb first. Peter did. Both saw the linen wrapping lying there, and the linen cloth that had been round Jesus' head rolled up in another place. It was as though Jesus' body had passed through the shroud that included some 100 pounds weight of expensive myrrh and aloes, and the head covering had been discarded. It seemed that human hands had not removed the body. What did it mean? John tells us that he saw and believed, but in the next sentence he tells us that neither he nor Peter understood it. Like Martha, who had told Jesus she knew her brother Lazarus would rise from the dead on the last day, John seems to have reasoned that Jesus had gone to be with the Father, as he had said. Neither he nor Peter understood what Jesus meant when he said they'd see him again, physically risen from the dead. We need to grasp this, for it emphasizes the unexpectedness and authenticity of what happened. We also need to appreciate how Jesus' first friends felt when they saw him strung up on a cross. For three years they'd been with him. They'd seen him turn water into wine, heal the sick, restore sight to a man born blind. They'd even watched when standing at the entrance of a tomb, he called out to a man who'd been dead for four days. Lazarus, come out! Furthermore, they heard him teach and outclass the smartest minds that sought to break him. They believed that he was the Son of God incarnate. Then to their horror, they had watched him die. they had heard his prayer of forgiveness and his promise to the penitent insurrectionist that we read about in Luke chapter 23. They'd also heard his shout of victory. It is finished. My work is done that we read in John 19. Their minds were numb with shock that such an innocent man, who had used his powers to serve others, should die the death of a common criminal. No wonder they hid behind locked doors, fearing for their own lives. John records that on that Sunday evening, Jesus suddenly stood in the midst of his disciples. John's words, Jesus stood... Contrast with the time that they'd last seen him, hanging on a cross, wounded and bleeding, racked with pain, dying. And when they'd seen the spear thrust in his side, they knew he was dead. And yet here Jesus was, not weak and limp, but standing, tall and erect, in command, repeating words he had spoken when he was last with them. Peace be with you. And to prove he was real and not a ghost, he showed them his hands and his side. Bewildered and confused though they were, they nevertheless knew that Jesus was alive. Peace be with you, he said again. At their last meal he had promised, My peace I leave with you. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Believe in me. His resurrection was proof of that. They were overjoyed, but their minds couldn't fully grasp what was happening. It was like a dream. But as Chesterton rightly observed, truth is stranger than fiction. As I have remarked before, Jesus' resurrection is not the result of a natural law that can be tested. Rather, as the New Testament tells us, it happened because God chose to overrule what we call the natural laws using his awesome supernatural power. No one has been able to prove conclusively that Jesus did not rise from the dead. More than ever, our confused world needs to hear God's good news. When we turn to the risen Christ, he says to us, Peace be with you. Have no fear. So let me pray. Almighty God, you have conquered death through Your dearly beloved Son, Jesus Christ, and have opened to us the gate of everlasting life. Grant us by Your grace to set our mind on things above, so that by Your continual help our whole life may be transformed through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with You and the Holy Spirit in everlasting glory. Amen.
1: The power and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen.
2: A prayer for peace. God of the nations, whose kingdom rules over all, have mercy on our broken and divided world. Shed abroad your peace in the hearts of all people and banish from them the spirit that makes for conflict so that all races and people may learn to live as members of one family and in obedience to your laws through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. A prayer for those in need. O God, the creator and preserver of all humankind, we humbly pray for all who are in any kind of trouble, sorrow, sickness, anxiety, or need. We particularly pray for those who have lost loved ones through COVID-19. We thank you that a vaccine has now been produced and pray that it will be made available both speedily and fairly, so that all peoples and nations may benefit. Father, we also continue to pray for people who suffer because of injustice, poverty, and powerlessness. Lord, enable us to share with others the material things that they need. Most of all, in your great mercy, bring comfort and hope through the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who died and rose to save us, and to give us meaning and hope forever. We ask all this through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. A prayer for the gospel. Lord Christ, eternal word and light of the Father's glory, send your light and your truth so that we may both know and proclaim your word of life. To the glory of God the Father, for you now live and reign God for all eternity. Amen.
0: And now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you what is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen.
1: People involved in today's podcast are John Mason, speaker and writer, Andrew Pearson, the Dean and Senior Minister of the Cathedral Church of the Advent, Birmingham, Alabama, Craig Smalley and Catherine Jacob, members of the Cathedral Ministry team. The introductory and concluding music is from the Cathedral under the direction of Dr. Frederick Thiru and Zachary Hicks. Charles Wesley's hymn, Christ the Lord is Risen Today, is sung by the Chamber Choir of St. Andrew's Cathedral, Sydney, under the direction of Ross Cobb. Prayers are drawn from an Australian prayer book, 1978, and the Bible reading is from the new revised standard version. Please let us know if you have a question or a comment about this podcast. It would be great to hear from you. And don't forget, registration for post-conference access is at www.anglicanconnection.com.